You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. Welcome back to Counterculture with Marie, and it's with great pleasure I welcome back my most returning guest and one of my absolute all-time faves, Helen Houghton, leader of the new Conservative Party. Good morning, Helen. How are you? Good morning, Marie. It's fantastic to be back on. Oh, it is so always so good to have you here. And we thought we would actually do something novel for us for a change, but actually talk about politics because tis the season. Oh, good stuff. We need that. Not not long to go now before we change this government. Thank goodness. Yeah. Well, I know that you are absolutely uh, hitting the pavements out in Christchurch East. You're a electorate that you are canvassing. What's the vibe on the ground, Helen? What are people telling you? Because I know that you're talking to a lot of people right now about what's going on in this country. Sure. Okay. So the wheels basically have come off the Labour and Greens government and the electorate is fed up with them. Um, They're ready to throw them out of power. You know, the issues that we're all facing, they've gone too far. Kindness and the all wishy-washy stuff is is out. Now, it won't fix New New Zealand. We need leaders who will act. Those who, you know, it's not about hugging. It's about actually standing up and acting and um, saying no to the nonsense that's out there. People, yeah, that's what I'm hearing from, from everyone. They've been, they're tired of being ignored. And, you know, the people I've spoken to this time around agree with us. Actually, uh, conservative New Zealand are tired of being nudged towards liberal ideals. And it, it is time to get real and get New Zealand healthy again. Mm. So I'm ready to, yeah, ready to do that, ready for that change. Are you ready for that change, Marie? Uh, yeah, I'm so over it. I, I was ready for the change in 2017. But, you know, our Winston had other ideas, but that's another story oh. for another day. The minor parties. I mean, you have been probably, you're one of the OG minor parties. You've been around for a long time. You've been in the landscape a long time. You have been working with New Zealanders to to get those conservative ideals out there. And I have to say, you came pretty close here in Napier in 2014. So, you know, you've been doing it a long time. What's your feeling in terms of the minor parties? Because there is a very, very long bow to draw here in terms of getting somebody across that line. There was a poll that we had on the crunch with Cam Slater last week And I know Matt from Democracy New Zealand is really counting on getting that seat and the polling showed him at 2%. So realistically, the odds are against you. How are you tackling those odds in your electorate and with the party as a whole? Okay, well, like I said, people have had enough and I believe, and actually they've been saying to me, and even a strong national voter uh, in one of our local dairies recently said to me, this is an election for the smaller parties, which is fantastic, Marie. Now, talking about small parties and then there's the tiny tiny parties. So New Conservative, we've polled at, uh, I know you're talking about previously, we actually did get around four and we came so close and so it can be done. Now, we polled 2.7 and 2.5 earlier on in the year before some of those tiny parties started up. While I respect all those people, it's quite disappointing with how many parties are actually, you know, splintering the votes that we could have, um, you know, like I said, we're at 2.7. The tiny parties are always asking us to join with them because, you know, I mean, let's face it, we do get five, ten times more the votes than they are getting and we're on the polls. So I don't expect that dynamic to change. Um, Now, we know because we've polled at 2.7 is because people do share our views. You know, we know that that's what we're going for, the social conservatives. You know, a lot of people are talking about all the parties joining together. 
you know, we'd lose more votes than we would by joining some of those. And mm. freedom, while many of them stand up for freedom, we all stand up for freedom. And freedom is not a policy. We're a well-established party with established policy platforms. But we really do think that, um, you know, while we cast the net wide enough to make getting that 5% is a possibility, we know it's going to be hard work, but we're going after every vote that we can. Mm, so let's have a look at some, dive into some of that policy. Um, one I remember from last time was uh, every referendum be binding. Is that still on, on the books with you guys? So we have uh, we're actually exciting news. On Friday, we've got our campaign launch and we've got a wee bit of a refresh. So that's going to be exciting for you to, um, and for the listeners to have a look at. So we, we do still have some of our older policies and all our values and everything is still there, but we've got a new refresh coming where um, we are looking at policies for the current, for here and now, not things that were 10 years ago. You know, it's really important that we're listening to the to our voters and to the people on the ground with the issues that we have that are facing us now. So that's not our huge focus right now. Mm. We're focusing on things like crime, on freedoms, on speech, on, you know, all, all of those things that are being taken away from us, basically, we get these uh, proposals come through, we go and speak to them and next minute overnight they're, they're approved and it's like even the pharmaceuticals one recently has gone through. Yeah, under, under urgency. urgency. I mean, really? What was Why urgent? That, about- yeah, what was urgent about that? <laughs> so what are some of those key policies? If you were to get over, the, for argument's sake, if you were to get over that 5%, Chris is out there, Luxy Ducks mm. out there and he's needing to cast around. For friends, you've crept over that five percent, and Luxie says, "Helen, let's have a cup of tea and sit down. What are the things that you would take to the table from a new conservative standpoint? Would be deal breakers for you?" Okay, so first thing after that, I wouldn't be sitting down having a cup of tea. I'd be having a party. But anyway, <laughs> after the party, after the party, what we'll do, and actually, it depends on how much leverage that we will have and how much support we can get from the conservative national. MPs and Chris, uh, we would like to implement as much conservative policy as possible and roll back as much as the liberal policy, of course, uh, making the Bill of Rights supreme law. We've had that uh, as a petition over the last year, and so that's at the top there. And for me, if you know anything about me, it's also the gender and education. So that's non-negotiable for me. That's why I got involved in politics. Uh, You know, I'm passionate about protecting our children and so removing all gender theory from our schools is a must but also handing back control of the curriculum to the school leaders and the boards you know the government have enabled lobby groups to politicize our classrooms and we need to stop that so that's that's a must Mm. what about transparency around those lobby groups that have had so much of influence on policy would that be something on your radar A hundred percent. We talked once before on an interview about the fact that the Rainbow community, they have a rainbow room, and I'm not talking about just somewhere to go for for Rainbow community to go and relax and chill out. I'm talking about, you know, rainbow room where they, you know, doing, talking about policy and yeah, they're right in there. They're in the, in the government house. So yeah, they have far too much control. And, and look, it's not only in our education centres. We're talking about all institutions, Marie. When I put a citizens-initiated referendum out earlier in the year, the opposition that I had to that was not only the Ministry of Education. We had the Ministry of Justice, Ministry of Health, 
PPTA, Teachers Council, the whole, you know, all these institutions, it's like, you know, the go woke or go break. Well, actually, that's what's happening to Labor now, isn't it? So there you go. Mm. There's a push too with this government to create all of these laws and councils, for a lack of a better term, and regulators. How many times have we heard the term regulator in the last three years? One of the latest and greatest, uh, which we have been talking about a lot on the station in previous weeks, has been the Safer Online Services and Media Platforms consultation document. There's a mouthful. Boy, it just rolls off the tongue. Uh, Which, of course, you know, to be honest with you, is online censorship laws, is what this is. And, And as you said, freedom is not policy, but what can be policy is protecting those freedoms under the Bill of Rights, which I think you've outlined as something that you want to entrench. Things like those freedoms of speech, those groups, the funding of those groups like our friends at the Disinformation Project. What are your thoughts and feelings around those? Oh. (laughs) Have I I opened Pandora's box, have I? I don't know if I can say some of those things online, but I'll, I'll give it my best shot. We've talked about the freedom thing, and for myself, it's the same thing in education where it's like we're not teaching children how to critically think anymore. It's telling them what to think with ourselves not being able to speak. Who, who regulates? Who decides what is hate speech? Who decides, you know, when, if it, is it just about somebody who has a different opinion? And that they don't like it because that's what I've seen over the last few years. You know, it's like, you know, we need to have debate. We need to be able to understand each other. And we won't be able to do that unless we are able to put all our ideas and all our thoughts out there. And who's to say that your idea is actually the wrong one, Marie? And, uh, you know, same with, with me. It's like we all come with different perspectives and experiences in life and things that happen. So we have reasons for what we, um, why we think the way we do. And if we're going to be shutting that down, that's going to cause more, more, um, more frustration. And you can see that in the communities when we've, when they've talked about the hate speech law, that actually causes a lot more aggression with people because you're telling people what they now can't, can say and can't say. Now, while our prime minister has said he's put that you know, to the side, you can guarantee that that will come out of their back pocket, you know, if they were able to get back into power at the next election. So, yeah, and a highly concerning is it Kate Kate Hanna. Do you want to talk about this Kate Hanna business? Because there's something recently that she um, has put out an article around speaking out about the silencing of women. Mm, have you heard? Mentioned, yes, I have. I mentioned this on our political agenda last Friday. Yes, I did hear about this. I did hear about oh, this. Yeah, I read this and I'm really concerned. So I'd l- I'm hoping that we can have a wee quick chat about that because there's some issues here. Well, I think it's important that we dive into this because, as you said, popping things in the back pocket, we know that Labour are good at this. I mean, Labour have made an art of campaigning on one thing whilst trying to secretly move policy through that has not Mm. been campaigned on and then turns up and before you know it, poof, hey, pua, pua, you think to yourself, where did that come from? I bet you dollars to donuts there were a lot of people who voted Labour in the 2020 election that when hey, pua, pua was brought to light probably thought to themselves, well, I, I never voted for that. This speech stuff, this free speech stuff, the piece we're talking about, if anyone wants to reference it, it's from the spin-off of the, on the 25th of July. It's written by Kate Hanna, speaking out about the silencing of women. The broad theme of this 
the timing is interesting because the 31st of July is when the submissions closed on that discussion document I mentioned before. That discussion document, one of the things they want to introduce essentially is a regulator, a regulator over online content and speech. And I read this article and I thought, oh, Kate, have you just popped, A, the submission and the article, printing of the article, the timing was suspicious to me, being so close to that. And two, are you, is this you just popping your hat in the ring, you know, just putting your name out there because you fancy yourself in that role? That's the first two big over-themes, and that was before I even dived into the muck. What stood out for you in this, Helen? There's two things first in the title, and then I'll, I'll add mm. some more. So first off, I would change it. I'd fix the title. The title, I would say, would be Speaking Out About the Silencing of Men. Uh, now, I say that because... Yeah, we've got some some issues I'd like to delve into there. But the other thing is the legitimate place where there is silencing of women, Kate and people in positions such as our Minister for Women are silent when they should be speaking out for things like women's spaces, women and girls' sports, uh, bathrooms and prisons. It's interesting, isn't it, that she's talking mm. about that this when you don't hear a boo out of any of them when it comes to actually women, you know, mm. those real issues. And look, she goes on to identify the problem. She calls it for women, girls, and LGBTQIA. Now there's only one category missing. Who is it? Mm, men. Men. It's a male. So what a man bashing statement. Yeah. It is, yeah, it's man bashing, it's diatribe. When I see this, I'm not surprised that there is abuse online. Now, it's what it is, it's an emotional, psychological framing of the male sex as enemy number one. They are sabotaging manness. How can we not react? I react over it. I mean, men, unless they identify as someone on the rainbow community, are classed as unacceptable species in Hannah's framing of this, I would also say that many women would not be happy that Hannah takes it upon herself to lump women into a sex alongside victimhood with LGBT plus that alphabet soup. I mean, toxic masculinity is shamed onto every man as if they are the cause of every aspect of everything about women suffering or anything like that. And she's talking, you know, Hannah was talking about trolling and abuse online is causing women to exit the political world in general life in public or public life. Now, I am, as you all know, leading a conservative party. I'm the only female on a board with seven men. In two years, I have been, as I've been in leadership, only one man emailed me to say that I shouldn't be the leader because I'm a woman. And he actually, he went on, he wanted to know my thoughts on the Bible verse about men leading the home. So, you know, obviously I didn't respond to that. I just laughed about it. No, that, but I'm saying, you know, where is all this abuse that's coming from males onto women leaders? I'm leading yeah, yeah. the Conservative Party. And I haven't, I haven't seen that. I haven't had that. And it doesn't mean I'm minimising it, any abuse or that uh people should treat it as normal. There will be some abuse online. I get that. But is it only from is it only from men? I assure you that there's no. women as well as men. And look, a, re a responsible question would be, 
who's self-managing in that space? Like, Marie, do you allow everybody onto your Facebook? Because it takes some personal responsibility. How does somebody get attacked online? What are you doing online all the time? You know, why are you listening to this stuff? Um, what, what's that saying about uh, when people write something about you or say something about you, it's none of your business? It's like, mm. you, you know, it's there, but if they're talking, I don't want to know about what people are saying about me. I don't really, you know, if they're negative, who cares about well, that? Well, you have like online um, places and spaces. Interestingly enough, not yet in this job have I struck this stuff, but I have in my other in my day job, um, as opposed mm. to this the, being the side gig, I talked about it in the political agenda. I've got an entire file. Cam Slater said he stopped keeping it because he needs a warehouse for all his, but mine mine is, oh. can still fit into a, into a file. I've been at it a lot less time than Cam. Mm. And I went back through it, and it's all women. All of this abuse is women. I have seen the nastiest behaviours perpetrated against women by women Mm. and so when she says things here like there is a critical need to understand the growing use of technology to stalk threaten hack and ultimately silence high profile women getting to grips with the impacts of this violence on women's well-being workplaces families and ultimately communities requires research that is firmly embedded in the feminist approaches um if that's not her asking to put a hand out and saying you need to give me a job this is i'm going to fix this this is you know this is that for me is your job interview this must be grounded in local regional and community contexts and contend with the chronic underreporting of gender based violence manifested how exactly sweetie where is this gender-based mm. violence? Now, if the gender-based violence mm. is women abusing, trolling, I've had the most nasty things said to me all by women, which is mm. even more the case when the violence is committed using technology. Mm. The over-feminization particularly you as an educator must see this in the education system. I know you've got boys. I've got boys. One of my sons has been talking to me about the rise of masculine figures online, right? Mm. That a lot of teachers are not very happy about that because they claim that they're misogynist and all of oh, these gosh. things. Well, of course, these young boys are going to be attracted because they have been told these young teenage boys are not allowed to express their innate maleness. They have been told that that part of them is wrong. So as yeah. these kids get older, I I can see unless as parents we're able to instill that actually no, darling, there's nothing wrong with your maleness, and in fact that is your greatest strength. There are going to be a lot more issues further down the track. I mean, women, we are not the the cure and panacea for everything. Surely Kate must see this. Oh, look, Marie, you're going to be really excited on Friday when we bring out our refresh because it's all about manliness. And I'm fed up with man bashing. And in her article, it's just that I'm embarrassed for my sons and concerned that this is a perception of women that they will carry when they're constantly blamed for anything that a woman has an issue with. How are we supporting relationships? let alone, you know, the differences between the two sexes when we always focus on one sex. 
Anyone would think that women do no wrong, and you've just said that. Look, what about when women behave badly? I'm thinking about the news story recently with the woman who was dragged out of co-governance meeting. Meeting. She got dragged out. I don't know if you saw that. You know, the focus was on that poor woman who got dragged out. I tell you what, I watched it, and she was still blowing that damn whistle as they were dragging her out. Certainly didn't look like she actually wanted to surrender and walk out as she claimed to. She was trespassing, you know what I mean? Mm. And obviously they couldn't manhandle her like they would a male. So how else are they going to remove her while she's, you know, on that blowing that whistle? Mm. So, yeah, just a real brief. I don't want to release too many of our um, amazing policies. Oh, but go on. Give us a hint, Helen. Give us a hint. <laughs> okay, okay. So we have got encourage manliness, would you believe? We have great fathers, sons and husbands are everywhere, but we need to encourage them to fulfill their potential because of this man bashing vote to encourage great fathers and sons is what we say and there's more to that but like you said yep I've got two adult sons and I'm concerned you know I've always been concerned about you know there are women out there that are nasty you know we know we don't don't we Marie that it's not all about the male I interviewed a 15 year old actually you I think you put it on one of our um, I did. I did. One of our yeah. past ones. Do you know what he said to me? And that wasn't in the interview. He told me that so he's 15 and he goes to one of the boys' high schools. And he said that even at 15, they feel that attack of their manhood. In this particular school, they're allowed to wear nail polish, but they are not allowed to have facial hair. This is a boys' school, Marie. They're allowed to wear nail polish, you know, the gender thing, clearly, but no facial hair. <laughs> One of the things I actually yeah. love about um, the school that my sons are at, because as I've mentioned many times before, our boys are with the Catholics. The school there really do handle it, the whole question of always wanting to express themselves quite well. And the school that they were at had a, it was a quite well-publicised court case around their hair policy many years ago. But what they have there is it is very culturally diverse, exceptionally culturally diverse. They allow the young men there to express what is prevalent within their cultures. So there are a lot of uh, Sikh and Hindu boys at the school. There's boys who wear turbans. There's boys who have, boy, one ducks last year. He had a full beard. There's a lot of Polynesian boys at the school. So, of course, depending on where you are in Polynesia in terms of long hair, that's very common. Uh, they have a full Polynesian uniform, which for the where I am in the provinces is quite common in larger centres, but they do have a Polynesian uniform that boys can opt into if they choose to, which of course is to Western eyes is a skirt. They have all these different elements, but they're still, there is no mistake that these are young men who are part of the fabric of the overall school and they encourage these boys to grow up to be fine young men. And I love that and I cherish it, and I am so thrilled. I mean, the faculty endorse it fully, and I'm finding how rare that is becoming now, and I, I, I'm sad. I'm really sad. I think that is just utterly tragic. There's a lot that's tragic in the community, and it's all around division and putting, putting people against each other. You know, how can men and women find, females and males, find happiness when with so much division? There's criticism of each sex all the time, looking for faults, you know, blaming and shaming and condemning, even in the culture wars that are going on. But, um, you know, I, I think we all need to take a hard look at ourselves and then both sexes 
call a lead for solidarity mm. and that, that's with culture as well but look just going back to obviously we're talking about Kate Hanna and the censorship and all of that regulation do we have to have a gatekeeper to control information or do we in fact take some responsibility for our own online actions we're the ones that are using the internet mm. we are on there so surely as an adult we take the responsibility of who we allow onto that space I've got a couple of theories about this. Theory number one is, is someone who, for the other life, manages online spaces. Theory number one is uh, in terms of social media, I view it very much, it's your party. So you have rules and codes of conduct to be within those spaces. And as far as I'm concerned, if someone isn't behaving appropriately at my party, I will ask them to leave. It's as simple as that. I have no qualms about that. And because I want to protect the well-being and the joy of everyone else in that space. If people go, oh, you're trying to censor me and trying to censor my speech. Look, you can say whatever you want, darling. Just don't come and shit in my nest. It's as simple as that. So that, that is thing number one. Thing number two, rule number two. And this is for anybody out there on either side of this equation, right? The conservative side or the more neo-Marxist side. Rule number two, you need to approach posting on any form of social media the same way as if you were driving a car. And what I mean by that is, is you do not post when you've been drinking. (laughs) It's as simple as that. If you've had a few wee winesies, you don't go and get behind the wheel of your car, do you? Apply Mm. that same rule. When you see something pop up on that Twitter feed and you think, (laughs) um, no, No, and it's a rule that I've lived by. And whenever I've fallen off the wagon in the early days, that's when I got hammered and I thought to myself, no, actually, I think that's a hard and fast rule. No drinking and texting. You just can't do it. You can't, no drinking and posting. You just, no. (laughs) And that in itself is quite good because sometimes you get caught up in the heat of the moment. You need to step away from the keyboard. You need to step away from the keyboard or text it to yourself just so you can get it out and, you know, move on because sometimes there are conversations where you just don't want to engage. And I've learned very, very quickly that sometimes you need to, to lose a battle to win a war. And do you really need to be battling in one of those conversations with an idiot on Facebook and Twitter? 100%. I mean, we've probably all fallen into the trap of reacting at times, but yeah, you're right. Walk away, walk away. And it's funny, isn't it? It's, they're all echo chambers, mostly anyway. It's it's no different than all these um, new new little tiny parties uh, thinking that they're going to get 5% because they're all in these tiny little echo chambers of everybody telling them how amazing they are. Uh, it's really unfortunate because that's, um, you know, ruining the chances of the couple that could get there. So on that, Leighton has gone out on his own and I think he's standing is it in Waimakamakariri is that right? That is Leighton's electorate correct. Yeah, it's correct so big call I fear that he may fall into the same trap that Matt King has fallen into where mm. you're relying on name recognition to get you across the line For the listeners out there and I know we get this question a lot uh, through our feedback here at realitycheck.radio, why aren't the the smaller parties getting together and talking about pulling things together? It's similar to what the Tamakis and Sue Gray have done, but I am sure it's not through lack of trying. Is that right, Helen? Absolutely. So probably over, actually it would be over one year 
we've all, all of those parties, all of those key figures, the personalities, we've all sat around tables, we've all had conversations, different times with different groups. Um, most of us have really good relationships. However, you know, like you said, there's the Leighton Bakers and a few others. You've got your small parties like New Zealand First and New Conservative who have been around, you know, for the long haul. And then you've got your other tiny parties is what I refer to them as. They've just come up lately and, you know, like I said, they've been asking us, but yeah, it's a shame. It's like, why didn't they join us? Why didn't, um, you know, I can't I can't speak about these people, but, yeah, why why haven't some come back into one of these, you know, the bigger small party so that we could work together to get across the line? It would be an easy fix. So, yeah, if people would just drop that needing to be the leader of their mm. own party, it would be really good to um, so be able to here, work with them. Here's a question then, and this is left field. I'm sorry. But okay. in terms of umbrellas, have you rung Winston and said, hey, let's combine forces and, look, we don't necessarily agree on many things, but we do actually agree on some of the big things because if you combined your polling with his polling, that would give you guys a fair suck of the save. Oh, Marie, that is left field. And you know what? I'm going to let the cat out of the bag and be honest and open and transparent because I like to be there and that's what I expect from the government. And I don't think it's a secret. I've contacted Winston. <laughs> I've actually contacted them a couple of times and put a really good deal uh, offer to them. So, yes, we'd like that to happen. So if, if Winston or any of Winston's people are listening, get Winston to give me a call. We actually have a lot. You said uh, we might have some things we disagree on, but actually, you know, you look at the policies and we actually agree on most things. You know, I even have uh, New Zealand First supporters phone me. Yeah, we communicate really well when we're out campaigning together. So they know that, um, you know, they're happy with some of the, a lot of the things that I've been standing and opposing. Yeah, we have to wait and see, I suppose. Mm. But you know, nothing's guaranteed for New Zealand first, and but it certainly would be if a new conservative was working with them. Hmm. I mean, because is it too late for this election to create that kind of umbrella now, or is it? Is it like is there a cut? I don't know the rules. So is there oh, a oh, we could do. We could absolutely do something together still. Uh, really, yeah, and it doesn't mm. need to be an umbrella. We can, yeah, we can do something. Right. So really yeah, easily. it would be like a, yeah. All right. I know people that know people, Helen. Oh, we'll good stuff! Hey, can you can you get that happening then? I'll, I'll, I'll just speak to from, um, from the leader a little bit later today. Yeah, Thanks, Marie. Well, you, no, they, well, it's just because this is this is the thing. As you said, uh, you had one of your constituents say, "This is this is the election of the minor parties." My concern is looking at all of these votes that could be potentially wasted. It was seven point eight percent last time. I have said this on the record. I believe it's going to be considerably higher than that unless there is some consolidation this time, it is important that we get those voices coalescing together to try mm. and get across the line. And I think the poll in Northland was stark. And I think that should really be yeah. sending alarm bells to a number of people mm. because that poll, and do you know what the biggest number about that poll was actually, Helen, is they had the party vote poll and the un, unsures or don't know number on what their party vote would be was 15%. But on the candidate vote, the unsure number was 30%. So that's nearly one third of Northland voters 
still mm. don't know which way they're going to cast their vote. And that just shows you the level of dynamic element that mm. is still out there, the potential that's still out there, but also to the uncertainty and the disillusionment that voters have right now about the people that are representing them. Absolutely. And it's not that clear cut that, you know, Matt King thought he was taking it away, but, you know, clearly not if there's 30% that no. didn't put his name down. Um, and look, everywhere that there's proportional representation across the world, for example, in Europe, we're seeing the large parties shrink and the smaller parties grow. So this is now happening in New Zealand. Like I said, we're hearing it. People say it's a it's the election for the small parties. So get the small parties in. We are ready. We're all ready to get in there and turn this, turn everything around. We're all about conserving the good for a better New Zealand. So I appreciate being on here, Marie. It's always great talking to you. Um, yeah, we have a big bash coming up on Friday. If anybody would like to come, get, uh, email me. If you haven't already got an invite or heard about it through, if you're not on our database, email me at helen.houghton at newconservative.org.nz and email me if you'd like an invite. It's going to have a big bash Saturday the 5th, 5th of August. Awesome. And of course, uh, your mm. website uh, has lots of information there as well. The website, uh, New Conservatives. Oh, 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 yes. But that one is going to be refreshed and that's that'll be released um, very soon. So it'll be exciting. Excellent. Oh, look, Helen, I really do appreciate, um, I, as always, I love chatting to you. Um, she's one of my favourites, Helen, which is why I keep having you back. Uh, and we, we always have such good discussions. So I'll see what I can do. I can see what I can do about. A phone call, you know, because we know Winston's quite partial to a phone call. Yeah, we know he's quite partial to a phone call. So I can see what we can do about that. And if you have any feedback whatsoever for us, remember realitycheck.radio is our website. You can text us at 2057 or send us an email to inbox at realitycheck.radio. And if you want to check out the replays, click the replay button on our website and look up the previous interviews that I have done with Helen. They are fantastic. We've talked about a lot of issues, particularly around education, and that will give you a very clear idea of where things are. Thanks, Helen. As always, I'm sure you and I will catch up again before the election. I know we will. Uh, Go well, and we'll see what we can do. Super. Thanks, Marie, and thanks to all the audience who are listening as well. Take care. More here still to come on Counterculture, including the woke news of the week. So don't disappear. You're listening to Counterculture, 